Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Sober Speak. I am sitting here with my guest today. His name is Ray, R-A-Y, Ray, last initial R. And uh, I asked Ray to go ahead and pick out a, uh, uh, a daily reading to start us out with today on this episode. And he has selected something from the big book, and I'm going to let him read that right right now. So go ahead, Mr. Ray. Thanks, John. Good to be here. Um this is on page, starts on page 132. It's the family afterward uh, in what appears to be the third edition of the big book. Um, we have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with alcohol and its worst aspect, but we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. We try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire that is alcoholism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do not recount and almost relive the horrors of the past, but those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find we are soon overcome by them. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered, and we have been given the power to help others. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate that. So uh, to the audience here uh, at Sober Speak, you'll find podcasts of sharing their experience, strength, and, re- and hope and recovery, much like you do at an AA speaker meeting. These men and women tell us their stories centered around the AA 12 Steps of Recovery. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and I'll be the host of this episode Keep in mind, we welcome all of your comments, and you can get in touch with us by going to the website at SoberSpeak.com or send an email directly to us at feedback at SoberSpeak.com. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization, their own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Please remember... We do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope. With those who wish to come along for the ride, please take what you want and leave the rest at the curb. So, uh, my friend Ray here uh, happens to be visiting here in Texas from uh, the great state of uh, California. From You're from the central coast of California. Is that correct, Ray? Yeah, originally from Los Angeles, but I live in the central coast now. Okay. So I guess one of the first questions I want to ask you is, uh, out of all the readings that you were able to pick, right, you just kind of did that one on the fly, why did you pick that reading and why is that important to you? Well, um, sobriety and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous have rendered me into an optimistic person. I was a little pessimistic when I was out there and um, that reading kind of tells me that you know, all the experiences I had are going to help me to help others. And that's optimistic to me. That's right. We're not a glum lot. Uh, we use our experiences that have been tragic uh, and we turn those into uh, uh, our strengths as we move along, right? That's right. Uh, well, so here's another thing I know about you, right? Is that, uh, and I really want to kind of go into this. Uh, you are a drummer, 
right? That's right. And, and which is absolutely very interesting to me. I think all kids when they're growing up, well, I should say all kids, all kids like me who were into rock and roll, they would watch people uh, play drums. They would watch them play guitar, play the bass, sing, whatever. And everybody wanted to be in a rock and roll band. So you, in essence, are living the dream. So talk about how you got into <laughs> drumming and what it means to you. Well, um, my dad was a professional musician. Oh. Uh, growing up, his dad was a professional musician. Really? So in our house growing up, there was a, you know, they had band practice at the house. My dad played uh, Latin music and uh, jazz. He was a piano player. He was a piano And um, so we always had that growing up. And in our house, um, in order to stay in the good graces of dad, you had to like pick up an instrument and show some interest. And um, so he was a piano player. So I picked up the piano at five. Wow. And uh, music lessons, you know made me close to my father and you know that's that's how I got into it um I went from various instruments but I, I ended up um wanting to play the drums and becoming a drummer because I liked the excitement of it it seemed like it was fun it was physical it was loud you know I could have fun so do chicks really dig it when you're a rock and roller <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't really answer that. I don't know. I'm going to say probably. You know, I don't know. So you said you, uh, your dad was very musical. So um, what about, did you have brothers and sisters that were musical as well? Um, not really. Um, I had some that dabbled, yeah. um, but I I liked it. I mean, I enjoyed it. I liked the whole thing about being on stage. I liked I performing as a, at a very young age. Um, I was on some TV shows with my dad in the 60s. Wow. and. uh um, I just, I, I like, I liked being out there and being in front of people. It was part of my personality. So none of my brothers and sisters really, uh, gravitated toward that. They're all successful in their own rights, just not musically. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the answer to that, I guess. Yeah. So when was, what was the first band you were like, were you, do you remember being in a band when you were a little kid or um, Yes and no. I, I mean, I did the marching band in school. I did the, uh, the concert band, the jazz bands, um, as a trumpet player a lot, and then also as a drummer. But the first rock and roll type band I put in was, I think I was 16, and yeah. um, we were just kids, you know, getting drunk and playing music. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we're good. So, um, all right, so let's uh, switch a little bit to your uh, recovery story. So I I'm assuming you got into, uh, a, a, this is just a... Uh, a stereotypical uh, sort of uh, 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 guess here, but I'm assuming you got into the uh, the drugs and the drinking and the such when you were younger, um, and uh, that maybe parlayed a little bit into your story. And can you talk a little bit how um, how that happened when you were younger? Well, sure. Um, you know, I'm a 57 year old man, so if that if you're near that age, you probably started drinking and and um, and using you know, in your early teens. That's kind of most of the people that I know that are in recovery about that same age. We kind of all started the same thing. Um, the music part had very little to do with that. I really, once I, yeah, there was a lot of drinking going on in my house growing up, a lot. And, um, you know, there was a lot of physical abuse with my mom and dad fighting each other and drinking and all that. It was crazy. It was crazy. Um, so I vowed, you know, never to drink because of what they did to them until... I had my first drink and then all bets were off. So I was probably 12 or 13 and I started drinking and uh, just, uh, I really never stopped or tried to stop um, until I stopped. Right. 
So you were 12 or 13. And so mm-hmm. talk a little bit about your, your growing up in the household there. You made an, you uh, alluded to it a little bit. Uh, sound like there was some violence. Were both parents drinking? Oh, or, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, they would just get drunk and fight, you know, and, and, and you know, there was, I had uh, a sister and two brothers and two sisters and two brothers. And we would, you know, we would just, you know, hide basically, yeah. you know, and um Every every family member except myself and my younger sister ran away from home because it was just too crazy, you know. And um, and it was both parents, you know. Um, yeah. My dad drank a lot and got physical. Mom drank a lot and tried to, you know, she got physical with him. Right. And um, you know, more than once I called the cops on my dad to get him out of there. Or, you oh. know, it was just it was it was it was like chaos. Right. A lot of our friends we didn't have like a lot of friends come over and play at our house. It was like you know, can I go to little Billy's house? You know, because you know we didn't, you never knew what you were going to get. At our house, it was you never knew you were going to get cool, you know, Ozzy and Harriet, right? You know, or you're going to get you know Ozzy Osbourne and Sharon. I mean, you never knew. It was like nuts, you know. So, <laughs> so how do I ask this? So, obviously, you know, we would be naive to think that you can go through an experience like that and not be affected, right? And I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about the effect that you believe that had? on you growing up and possibly even now into today because I, I, I know my, my childhood still affects me today and so can can you talk about that I could talk about it um, honestly I don't think much I don't think I think I've I realized I put that in its own little box as growing up when I got sober and worked through the steps the first time I wrote a lot about it yeah and I kind of I kind of clean that clean that up and what I came to believe in it is believe is true is that you know I really nothing to do with that right. you know I mean that was their their demons and I was just in that situation right. it's not something that I carry I feel like carry with me in modern times or in relationships with other people or with you know my wife or you know I don't think it I don't think it's there I think it's given me empathy yeah. towards others yeah who are going through it right. or, or, um, or experienced it, I have the empathy towards them. And that, that has helped me help some of my sponsees throughout the years right. in sobriety. But I don't think for me, it's something that I've like, you know, fostered any resentment for or anything like that. It's just kind of, I was just kind of there and that's how it was. You know, that's interesting you say that. I do remember that with my uh, um, a mom in particular going through the steps and such. And after I'd gotten through them, uh, I remember thinking, um, it's not like, uh, um, you know, I, I know it affected me, but I realized that it was her thing and that she was doing the best she could mm-hmm. with what she had at the time. Yeah. And now it's time for me to move on. And like you said, I've talked to a lot of guys over the years and, you know, some women, but uh, mainly guys who have said, I went through this particular situation. Uh, it affected me in this way. And I can say, I understand, man. You know, I get it. I know where you're coming from. Right so, on. well, good. All right. So, um, I so so talk to me then a little bit more about. Um, uh, so so we know how you grew up, right? A little bit of a chaotic situation. Uh, you went into your twenties uh, or so, and you're still living that uh, kind of a, a drunken life. And then, how did you how did you end up finding? Recovery. I mean, how how did that come about? Did it just fall out of the sky, or what? What happened? <laughs> no. Um, okay, so my mom and dad split up when I was like seventeen, and my dad moved to Hollywood, which is where they met. So, being a musician and an aspiring, you know, want to be rock star, where else would you want to be? Was in Hollywood in the nineteen eighties. Right. I mean, it was going off rock and roll then, you know. So, right. I left mom's and went to dad's and um, hung out with dad. Uh, I only got. Th- 
about four years with him and he passed away oh. and uh he it was a, it was tough he got diagnosed with the colon cancer oh. um and it, it, he it, he lasted a year yeah. after the diagnosis but he was one of those men who never went to the doctor oh. didn't trust him you know so for anybody out there you know if you're feeling anything weird you know go see somebody don't wait you know so he waited till it was too late anyway we got another year out of him and he passed away on christmas day 1984 um in my arms i was holding him i watched him take his last breath it was pretty impactful wow um but I remember, you know, distinctly after I realized that that was his last breath, I had a couple of friends over and um, we were all kind of taking, taking care of him at home. And um, he was 58. Yeah. So I went and first thing I did was crack a beer, you yeah. know, because, you know, that's what I knew to do. And um, so from pretty much like from that day until um, until I came to my first AA meeting, I drank um alcoholically you know to dull pain to uh you know good stuff happened i get drunk I, I was one of those sabotage drunks everything's time something good happened especially for me musically that had a lot of opportunities musically in the 80s to do really good stuff but i would always sabotage it behind drinking and i didn't realize that's a common story with us but it is and no matter what your field is you know we can we like well i don't know a lot of us like to sabotage potentially great situations right. you know so i had a lot of that going on and i would always revert back to well if my dad was still alive or if right. i didn't die or if i wasn't abandoned or all this psycho nonsense right. um which was just a, an excuse to drink you know i have to drink look what happened to me you know that's so i went through about six years of that um in the process i got a dui um back then um, the penalties were pretty light. This was, I think it was 1988, maybe, something like that, John. Okay. And um, I had a 0.22 alcohol level. I remember that. But I went to court and um, got sentenced to whatever it was. I, I, I remember now, but I didn't remember at the time. And I, I, never, I just let it go to warrant. I didn't care. Um, but as far as getting to back to A, getting to AA and how that started was, you know, of course... Um, I had moved back to my mom's house when I was in my about 29. I had nowhere else to go. I would have been homeless if it wasn't for her. So I moved back there and um, I'm drinking like a lot, you know. So you went back up in this back up in the Central Coast again? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. This is before that. This has been in Los Angeles still. Okay. okay. So anyway, um, you know, I'm drinking, I'm drinking. That's what I do, you know. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, one day she came into my bedroom, and um, which is the same bedroom I was in since seventh grade. I mean, it still had some of my clothes in the drawers, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, she walked in and she said something that, like a lot of us alcoholics hear from other people, mainly from people that care about us because they're the ones that get it the most. You know, they get the most, they get abused the most by our drinking. Mm -hmm. So she said, um, "You didn't really turn out like I thought you would." Something to that effect. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I said, well, if you buy me some beer, I'll go to AA tomorrow, which was just <laughs> BS to get beer. <laughs> so she bought me a couple 12 packs of Budweiser Talls and she threw them in the bedroom. She said, here's your beer, a-hole. This is on a Saturday night. And uh, I was glad I drank the beer. Okay. So the next morning, which is September 22nd, 1991, ah. I wake up and I'm like, I remember what she said. And I'm up early. You know, on a Sunday morning, I was just staying up all night drinking. I'm, I'm up early. And I've been thinking, God, why did I say that? I shouldn't have said that AA thing. That's so dumb. I'm never going to go to AA. 
Um, and then I, I and then so I'm just going to tell you what happened, and then just exactly how it happened. So I um, I take a shower, mm-hmm. and I go back into the bedroom, and I'm sitting down, and uh, I'm watching myself, John. I'm on the other side of the room, mm-hmm. and I watch myself pick up the phone book and open it up to Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I'm watching my, I'm not doing, I'm watching myself call AA. And a woman on the phone says, in Glendora, California, was where the uh, central office was. And she's so happy to hear from me. You know how we are at central office. She's excited. <laughs> I'm going to help this guy. So she gives me where a meeting, tell me, tells me where a meeting is. And um, I write it all down. And I'm, now I'm up on, now I'm up in the corner of my room, John. I'm looking down at myself, writing this stuff down. Like, what are you, I'm thinking, what are you doing? Why are you writing that down? And um, then I kind of remember coming back together and I looked at what I wrote and I had about 10 minutes to get there and a 15 minute drive and I drove to the meeting. And that was my first, um, that was my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and I've never drank again. Really? That's, that is great. As you know, a lot of people come in and they go in and sure. out. I was one of those. And, uh, but there are some with the grace of God, mm-hmm. right? They get to stay that first time. So you don't have to go in and out, right? It's not a prerequisite. No, and I don't remember, um, much about the meeting except that for the first time in many, many years, um, I wasn't getting scolded about my drinking. I wasn't getting told I was bad. I wasn't getting chastised for how much I was drinking. People were talking about drinking in terms that I could relate, only they were talking about it in the past tense. <laughs> right. Like, I used to do this. I was like this. I used to treat people like this. Mm-hmm. And I came, you know, this. I call it the AA fairy tale. You know, it's, we come to AA, we work the steps, you know, we get a sponsor, we, we, um, we you know, quote unquote, do the deal. And then the fairy tale happens, and that fairy tale is different from all of us. But right. it is, it is, um, um, you know, came in what happened, and then the fairy tale is what it's like now. Right. That's where the that's where it is. Right. So they were talking about what it's like now, and I was believing them. Oh. You know, I'm not. You know, I'm, at that time in my life, I'm a skeptic, mm-hmm. but I'm believing what they say, and um, they were they were right. Right. Do you remember how you heard about AA? Like you picked up the, like, by the way, I found it very interesting. You're picking up a phone book, right? Mm -hmm. And you're flipping through the pages. Nowadays, everybody gets online or they have an app, right? There's an app out there, a meeting schedule or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to go, uh, you don't have to do that. But do you remember how you actually, what, what what made you reference that to your mom? Well, I think... Someone like me um, who drank like I did, which was daily. I wasn't a binge drinker. I wasn't a you know periodical. I lived to drink, drank to live, mm-hmm. and um, if, for me, I heard all my life, "You need AA." From fifteen gotcha. on, gotcha. that's that's planted in my brain. <laughs> you know, you get you at, at that time. You know, between those years, fifteen to thirty, if you met me. You would probably like me right away. I'm a likable person. Mm-hmm. But then you would realize after weeks, months, <laughs> or less that I'm a raging alcoholic <laughs> and I'm really not a nice person. So, at, you know, you need AA. I heard that so many you times. So that's probably where. <laughs> you had heard it. So when, uh, uh, like your first uh, rodeo there. So, uh, okay, so... Um, 
You mentioned about your uh, uh, your D, your DUI there. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about your your DUI. I'm I'm sorry, I missed the year when that occurred. Uh, if that put a dent in your drinking, uh, I know you said you were a daily drinker. So mm-hmm. tell me how that played into your story there. Okay. Well, um, I got. I, I want to say it was 1989. I really don't remember the date now. I remember, I remember other details, like like when I got out of the car, I fell down on the ground. I mean, I remember that. Mm-hmm. I remember my blood alcohol level was 0.22. I remember 0.22. that. Um, and I was, you know, I, I it did not put a dent in my drinking until I stopped drinking. It um, didn't slow me down. I, I let it go to warrant. I um, I drove with a revoked license. I stole tags from other people's cars to put them on my car so I could keep driving. <laughs> I had no insurance. I mean. I was just, you know, a scumbag, you know. Um, <laughs> but the, the, you know, one of the miracles in Alcoholics Anonymous is, you know, you, I got a good sponsor, and um, I had um, one of the things on my ninth step is to take care of this court thing, you know. So I was like, I don't know, sixty days, nah, more than that, maybe about three or four months in, and um, you know, it's time to start cleaning some stuff up, and this court thing is looming large, according to my sponsor. For me, I didn't think it was a big deal because, you know, I could drive forever like this. <laughs> but working the program like I, he, I, he was teaching me, I need to take care of this, right? So I have a fellow member take me to um, to the courthouse where, you know, where, the, where it was um, the district where the DUI occurred in. And so I go to court, and I don't have any appointment or anything, and I, and, um, I had all the money I had in my pocket at the time. Mm-hmm. So we go to the clerk and she says, go up to room whatever and see the bailiff. I see the bailiff and he tells me, yeah, we're going to talk to you today, but just so you know, you're going to go to jail. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm prepared to go to jail. Whatever it takes, I want to do the right thing. So I sit down and wait and uh, wow. my buddy's waiting with me and then, I, and then they call my name and they go up there and then and the judge says, you know, I see you came here on your own. He goes, that's good, but you know, I have a warrant out for you because you stood me up on a DUI. And I said, yes, Your Honor, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous now, and I'd like to make my amends to the court. I apologize for the past few years. I've been, you know, living live a um, not so healthy lifestyle behind drinking. I've gone come to AA, and I'm turning my life around, and I'm coming here to make amends to the court. And so he says, do you have any proof of your um, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, meetings? And I really didn't. He made a court card. Right, right. Right. I didn't have that. I didn't yeah. you know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I had all my chips. And at that time, you know, you got a bunch. You got your 30, 60, right. 90. You got your um, th- uh, six months. Whatever. You know, you got you got a few of them. And, you know, like, I'm proud of these. Yeah. You know, I'm proud of my chips. And in L.A., they were these metal ones, you know. And so I said, Your Honor, I, I have my, my, my chips. And he goes, let me look at those. So I go to try to walk up there. The bailiff's like, no, no, no. So he goes, I handed my keys. Right. And uh, he takes him, he takes him up there, and the judge looks at him because I've never seen these before, and they were like metal, you know. So I yeah. said, "Oh, Your Honor, that's the new heavy metal chip," you know. <laughs> and so he laughed a little bit. You know, he got a good kick out of courtrooms, laughed a little bit, and I'm thinking, you know. So he says, he says, "Okay, since you came here on your own, I didn't have to go chase you down. I'm going to reimpose your original sentence, okay, with nothing else for letting it go to warrant." If you could pay your fine today, you can walk free today, do your 28 AA meetings and your alcohol program, but you have to pay your fine today. Oh, wow. Can you pay your fine today, Mr. Rocha? I said, I don't know, Your Honor. How much is my fine? And he said, it's $1,205. 
And I look back at my buddy and he was like pointing to the sky, like pointing to God. And our eyes are huge because we both knew I had $1,212 in my pocket. Wow. Crazy, right? Yeah. So it was like, you know, it was like one of those tingly AA moments. It was like, and I'm like, I was so proud. I'm like, yes, I can pay my fine, you know? (laughs) And so I paid cash for the fine and got out of there. You know, for me at that time in my sobriety, 28 meetings was like, you know, a half an hour. I mean, it was quick. Right. You know, I got that signed. Of course, all my friends are making fun of me. Ah, court card, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and, um, but I got it done. I finished the alcohol program and, um, the warrant was gone. Wow. The uh, What is it they say at the end of the promises? Uh, are these extravagant promises? Not even, man. We think not, right? No way. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. So so you got into AA. Let's talk about recovery a little bit then. Let's talk about, I guess, uh, I know that, um, I know you've talked to me about meetings before. Uh, what you think about me, and and I, I'm the same way, right? I've done a lot of wrong things in AA, a ton of wrong things in AA, uh, in sobriety. But one of the things that I've always did um, uh, is I've gone to meetings on a consistent mm-hmm. basis, right? And I've stayed plugged in. Um, talk to me about meetings, what you think about meetings, what you've seen over the years of meetings, and going to that. Okay. Well, um, so I got sober in 1991. So that gives me 26 years sobriety. Congratulations, thank you. brother. I've seen a lot. I, thank you. I've seen a lot in that time. You know, I've seen, we used to have smoking meetings. Right. And we'd have non-smoking meetings. And, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of changes in AA. And I, I, I've seen, when I came in, there was some bleeding deacons for whatever. And, and, you know, everybody, you know, wishes it, you know, the AA of old was better than, you know, just right, all this right, stuff. Right, right. Listen, it boils down to the program itself. It's right here yes. in this blue book. Mm-hmm. You go to meetings to find your people, yeah. but the program's in the book. Right. And um, so just real quickly on that, you, you know, I remember all the controversy about the smoking and the non-smoking. Mm-hmm. Were you a smoker at the no. time? Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when they said there's no no way that a, a, a newcomer is going to be able to survive a meeting for an hour at a time? Sure. Uh, there's just, you know, how is it ever going to happen and all that sort of controversy. So... It just it cracked me up, but nonetheless. Um, uh, so, so you're you're saying meetings have changed over time. There were yeah. some bleeding deacons there. Uh, yeah, like like anything, you know, you get any group of people together, you know, you can agree on most things, but maybe not everything. Mm-hmm. But um, whether you agree or disagree, you know, we want everybody to stay sober. Mm-hmm. That's our bottom line. Right. I, I don't I don't care about your politics. I don't care what you do. That, right. None of that matters to me. If you want to stay sober, I'm going to help you. And uh, to find people that you want to help, you find them in AA meetings. So I've always been a pretty regular AA meeting goer. It's tapered off over the years, but I find, you know, I love meetings. And for me, um, I found a lot, um, I get my, I get my juice in, uh, in service work. Yeah. That's where, that's where I get my, I feel like it feeds my AA need. And we'll so, dive into that a little bit. Yeah, so so it, go ahead. Service work. When you talk about service work, what, what is, you know, it means different, well, mm-hmm. I don't know if it means different things to different people to completely, but... What, what kind of service work do you do? Um, how does that help you? Can you describe that feeling of the juice that you get from it? Talk about that a little bit. Sure, John. So it's in California, it's H&I, which stands for Hospitals and Institutions. Um, for me, um, we're, the, we're the group, the arm of Alcoholics Anonymous. That um, The broad description is to take meetings into people who can't get out to go to meetings. So we're going to go to hospitals. We're going to go to jails. We're going to go to uh, teen detention centers. We're going to go to prisons, those type of facilities. You know, if you can't, if you're, for whatever reason, can't get to a meeting 
Our job as hospitals institutions is to take one to you. So we have about maybe in our our district, which is District 22 in California, mm-hmm. we have maybe 12 facilities that we service. And for me, um, I'm the uh, coordinator for the meetings that go into the county jail. And I've been the coordinator of that for, I don't know, maybe at least 15 years. And I've been going in for probably 23 or four. Okay. So um, that's, the, I get, I like the organizational part of it. I, organizing, you know, I have 32 gentlemen cleared to go in. Uh, when I took over that years ago, we had one meeting uh, a week in the jail and one meeting in the honor farm. Now we have four meetings in the jail a week. What's an honor farm? Honor farm is, um, so you're like a trustee in the jail. You, you don't get to get out, but you're less supervised. Okay. Okay, okay gotcha. Um, so now we have, you know, we're, we're taking on, a, we're taking 20 meetings a week minimum into these gentlemen. Really? In four, f- five different locations. They're different units of the jail. So we're basically have the ability to service yeah, you know, I don't know, maybe each meeting could have up to 30 people in it. Typically it's five, but you have the opportunity to provide a, a meeting to, you know, think about 30 times five times four weeks in a month. I mean, we're bringing meeting, a lot of meetings in, you know, and that's wow. just the jail part. God, so right. I, I really feel like I'm helping people there, you yeah. know, and, and, um, do you ever meet people that, you know, you've taken them into these j- the these jails, uh, excuse me, hospitals and institutions, and and you see them years later, and and they remember you guys from when you came in. Absolutely, a lot, because yeah. you know I live in a small smaller community. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot. One of the funny thing, like years ago, I ride a motorcycle. So years ago, I'm riding down this main drag in uh, in city, and and um, you know it's a Harley and whatever, and, and I'm just minding my own business, and and it's a nice, beautiful, sunny day, and this like this. This lowrider car pulls up alongside me, like you know. There's like four or five, you know, gang member type dudes looking at, and they're like, they're, you know, they're shadowing me, and I'm like, you know, I'm from LA, so I'm like, oh great, you know, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so then we get, we end up at a stop sign together, right? And the guy in the passenger seat, he goes, hey, hey man, and I'm like, I look, I'm afraid to look, you know, right, right, right. My, my life is gonna end, right. So I look over, and the dude's like, hey, hey, Vato, he goes. You came and brought a, me- a meeting to the jail, Holmes. And I'm like, oh, well, I look over and I'm all, I did. He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, I got 40 days, man. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you know, he, he's all, thank you so much, man. You know, I really appreciate you. You know, and then they took off, you know, and I was like, so, you know, some stuff happens like that. That's, right. you know, I mean. That's the front line of AA right Dude, there, I, right? I love it, man. You know, and, yeah. uh, you know, I mean. We all remember 40 days. Yeah, just out of curiosity, what is Vato in Spanish? That is like a gang member from <laughs> yeah, but is that, slang. Yeah, but is it good, bad, Yeah, yeah it's different? like a brother. It's like, hey, bro. Oh, hey, bro. Okay, yeah, like, gotcha. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great. You know, I, I felt like I'm helping. I've, that, and I've had many, many of those experiences where people just come up to me at a meeting. And, you know, in the jail, they're wearing an orange jumpsuit and plastic sandals. Right. You know, and then they're, I see them at a meeting, rarely do I recognize it? You know, I, you know, they'll come, they'll come up to me and go, Hey man, I saw you in 300 unit, you know, five months ago, you came in and brought a meeting. Thanks a lot, man. It really helped me. And I'd be like, great, man. You know, and he'd be like, yeah, I got a, you know, whatever, however many days or, you know, whatever. And it's like, it's really, it, it's it, like, that's what feeds right. me. That's you what know? gives you juice. Right. right. I completely get yeah. that. So 
what is it like when you actually take a meeting in there? Like, or do you have like, uh, you know, people sitting in a circle, you read out a big book of topics or a speaker? How's that work? It could be all those. Okay. It could be anything like that. Um, in a, the longer term prisons, they have inside sponsors. They have inside, you know, because these guys are lifers in the, in the prison system. Yeah. They're lifers. So they, they run their own AA meetings and we go in as guests and we talk. Okay. Gotcha. Um, in the jails, it's a little bit different because those guys are typically in there for you know, uh, months to years, maybe I think that I think it's two years now they could be in there and then they have to be or else they go to prison. Yeah. But um, so we don't see them as regularly as we see the prison guys. We see those guys for for years. Yeah. Um, so um, it depends on, on it depends on the different person. Some of my volunteers will go in and do a, a reading and then use a topic. Yeah. Some guys will come in and just run a straight AA meeting. Yeah. Some guys will come in and um, let them. What do they want to talk about? Um and so it's it's kind of what we're what, what we see, John, is you know I, I, I'm I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous member, but in that in that um, environment, I have to be I have to be prepared for more than just alcohol. Yeah, you know, because their experiences are different. We're talking about the under thirty generation; they have a whole different experience with um, uh, chemical substances and stuff than a, a lot of straight alkies. So I, we talk about whatever they want to talk about. If I if I'm going to help you and you want to talk about whatever meth or heroin yeah. or whatever it is right. you know I, i'm there to help right I, i'm not, i will never shut you off right you know I, I the singleness of purpose is a little looser right there because it's a what's what's a more important is the, that we want to help people right. they have na come in also but um i never you know i, I if you want to talk about something dude and i think i'm going to help you i'm going to listen right I understand. Yeah. Right. So, so that's the institution part of that, and and, for, and you've been doing that for many years. When you talk about hospitals, is that more than treatment centers, or is that mainly tr- describe to me a little about that? Is there, like, in other words, I'm thinking about people that are bedridden in a hospital. You know, they could possibly use a meeting. Is it that, or is it mainly treatment centers? It could be that, but it's mainly treatment centers yeah. and other places where alcoholics are. Psych wards, um, mental institutions. Right. You know, those are technically hospitals. So that's right. why they oh, get yeah. the name. Right. You know, you see the picture of um, of uh, uh, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob leaning over the guy in the that's hospital right. bed. Alcoholic to, We three. call that the first H&I meeting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. H&I. Yeah. They call it in. Uh, there, there's another word for it here in Texas, but I can't remember right off the top of my head. Um, so, um, um, all right. So, uh, you know, I, I'm still, you know, I'm still curious about this. Uh, and, and I don't know if we've covered this in total, but you're, you're the music scene, uh, and you playing in the eighties and such, and then taking it into sobriety and what it was different, like being a drummer in the eighties versus being a drummer, uh, even today. Right. Because you still, oh yeah, you know, do your, rock and roll music uh can you can you talk a little bit about that sure john so the last year and a half of my sobriety i mean of my drinking i did not play drums i sold all my equipment except for one drum set and i actually sold it for you know for drugs and alcohol i I I was i had no desire the joy that i got as a young man playing music was completely taken over by alcohol i mean there was no happiness in it and so I got rid of it. And, my, and when I got sober, um, I didn't really pick it up right away because I equated uh, drinking with playing drums because they, 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 were, they went hand in hand for me for so many years. Right. It was hard to separate the two. And there, there was a period in my second, 
second year of sobriety where I was really uncomfortable and unhappy. I was not good. I wasn't thinking about drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had the I had the um, the desire to drink was lifted my same day. I never I never thought about drinking again. But I was just unhappy. You know, and I didn't know if it was you know I, I didn't know why. And I was talking to my sponsor, and he's like, "Well, didn't you used to play drums?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, why don't you?" Play some drums, see if you like it. You know, it might be fun. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if I drum, then I'm going to drink again. And he's like, he got a little hostile with me. He's like, that's the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Why do they have anything? They're, they're completely separate. And he had explained to me why, you know, because, you know, one thing is drumming and one is drinking. And they can happen right. simultaneously, right. exclusively, you know. Right. So I um, so I picked up the drums. I started playing again. And I, I really had a lot of fun. And I hadn't lost a lot of my abilities, you know, they kind of, because I've been doing it for so long, like, they kind of came back. I didn't have the stamina that I had right away, um, but I, it felt good. And that was, turned out that was the answer. And I didn't know if I wanted to play in, uh, play in a band again or what I wanted to do, but I wanted to meet other drummers. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, you know, I had moved up north. I was not in Los Angeles anymore. I was up in uh, San Luis Obispo area in California, which is about a couple hundred miles north or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so... I entered a drum competition. So this drum competition, you know, obviously lots of drummers. So just real quick, a drum competition. I didn't even know they had drum competitions. So what is the, I mean, first of all, how do you win it? And who who says the, are these all over the United States? Yes, they are. Yeah. And they're fun. Okay. And they're they're community driven typically. You know, it's not about, it's not about, uh, you know, I won, I'm the best, I'm greater than you. It's about, let's all get together and have fun. There's judges. It's usually put on by a drum shop or a music store. Uh-huh. Um, and you get a time period. You get to work out a, however long of a solo you want to do. But there's a le- there's a length. It could be you know this one was four minutes. So it's all drum solos. Drum basically. solos, man. And so <laughs> you got uh, this had like 24, 30 guys or whatever. And I entered it and um, I worked up a drum solo. I really practiced to try to do good. Yeah. And so I worked up a drum solo and I didn't meet. I didn't know any other drummers. The 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 guy that I was buying drumsticks from at this, the time, um, drum circuit in San Luis Obispo. He you know, he said, you should do this, Ray, you should do this. So anyway, so I entered the drum competition and, um, you know, I did, I did a good, I did my solo like I wanted to. I performed correctly. Like, I, you know, I did my job and uh, the, I won. So, wow. yeah. So, so I'm like, you know, white bulb, you know, it's like, okay, so maybe I should play drums because apparently these people think it's something I can do. Right. So... I started playing and I, st- I got work right away. And, um, you know, I've been playing professionally um, in in my area f- since that would have been 94, wow. 95 maybe. And I, I've been busy, as busy as I wanted to be. There were times when I um, didn't want to play as much music, but due to whatever's going on, family events, sick people, whatever. And, uh, or there were times where I was like, a, you know, a single man and really had nothing else to do. So I want to play drums a lot and I'd be in bands and work a lot. So it's just kind of whatever I wanted to do. I turned down more work than I take because um, it's there for me. And it's there for me because I'm sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm doing it correctly. You know, and one thing about music is a lot of people don't um, don't realize is a lot of it is just showing up right. and being prepared. Right. Being like, professional. Like anything like any other life. business. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the music industry is no different. I know you show up on time, you show up prepared, you know, you're going to do well. Um, so I've done, you know, since I've been sober, I've done really, really well, you know, and I've had a lot of fun with it too. Had a lot of fun. 
Well, I kind of fancy myself a, uh, a professional air drummer. I don't know if that that, that carries much uh, uh, weight, if you will. <laughs> well, sure it does. Yeah. So, but being an air drummer myself, you know, makes me think about you know back in the days and such like that. What kind of music do you? Would I, I mean? Are you like? Do you like do everything? Is there something you specialize in? Uh, I'm a rock drummer. I, there's no way to sugarcoat right. it. I like the I like the the, the power. I like the volume. Um, I like the camaraderie between the, the amount of music you have. There's, you don't have an unlimited amount of musicians to deal with. You're dealing with either six or less musicians, you know, and I, I like that unit feeling, uh-huh. brotherhood feeling, and so it's it's definitely rock. And in particular, uh, uh, is it 80s rock? Is it 90s? I've done it all. Um, they call that, you know, that, that comes under the broad category of classic rock, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I've done a lot of that. I'm mostly classic rock my whole life. I've done a couple of blues trios and things like that, which were fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some rockabilly, which was fun. Um, but like like currently, my current situation is I um, I run an ACDC tribute band. So ah. we do all ACDC. And, um, you know, with, with the look, the... The costumes, the the correct amplifiers, the the correct guitars, I and mean, it's it's really? a whole you know tribute is a whole nother offshoot of just regular classic rock, and so we do the whole thing, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot, and it's you know it's is people love that stuff, and I got a group of guys that really do it well, and so it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of fun. I'm the only um, sober member in AA in the band. Yeah. And, um, it, it's every, and everybody knows it. You know, I've been in the same area for so many years, John. It's funny. Like you, you become known as that, right. you know, you are what you are eventually. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm Ray R drummer, the sober guy. <laughs> and, you know, I, I hang my hat on that every day of the week. Yeah, I was about to say, man, there's a lot worse things to be called, for yeah, sure. Totally. ACDC. Do you do the old ACDC and the new ACDC? I'm sorry to go down this, no, no, but no. I just, I love ACDC. We cover every genre of, of ACDC. So we start, we do everything from, you know, uh, um, uh, Let There Be Rock. We go back to uh, 74, um, Jailbreak 74, and yeah. we do all the way current the late, the last hit that they came out with um, with Brian Johnson was the one they played at the Grammys, which was Rock or Bust. Okay. And we do Rock or Bust. So we cover everything. We do. If there's a song that's with somewhat popular, we do it all from Whole Lot of Rosie to yeah. Thunderstruck to I mean we do we do everything. <laughs> that's great. And it's yeah. fun. It is. It's you know the drumming is not it's not the you know it's not like Rush. It's not like some challenging crazy drumming. It's just solid pocket drumming, and it's all about feel. And that is like it's just fun to just lay back and just lay that pocket down man. <laughs> lay that pocket down yeah. <laughs> oh that's great um i remember you telling me something about once about your your jobs that you had going uh i, I think your your last job in sobriety and then your first job and oh, excuse me your your last job drinking and your first job in sobriety can can you talk a little bit about that sure so this is one of those things that i I alluded to the AA fairy tale. This is the kind of stuff that you hear about in meetings and you just think about it, you know, say to yourself, that could only happen in Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And when you're when it's happening to you, you maybe not maybe don't notice it. But for me, the experience is that, you know, the, the when I was drinking, um, at the end there I was living at my mom's house and uh, my mom's boyfriend owned a, a little strip mall and um, he needed somebody to clean the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So um, that involved a blower and a vacuum. 
and um, I would and a broom and dustpan, and I would basically have to clean that parking lot uh, twice a week, and I had to clean it between like midnight and six a.m. on those mm-hmm. nights. So. so if you're drinking and you're trying to justify your existence as an oxygen waster, <laughs> my mind told me that that's the perfect job for me. I don't have a, I don't answer to anybody during those hours. I can work my own hours. Um, and there's perks to the job. So the perks to the job for me at that time, John, was like if I found a half bottle of booze that, you know, I would drink that. Yeah. If I found a half smoked cigar. Yeah. I would smoke that. Um, you know, I was sweeping up everything, needles, condoms, everything. I mean, everything. And, and it was just, you know, that was that was that's what I could do at that time in my life. Yeah. That that was that was that was all that's all I could do. And um, in my mind, I spun it like, oh, this is great. Yeah. You've arrived. Right. This is what a great job. Um, so I get sober and I keep that job for a while. I'm not ready to just walk out on the guy who uh, who's he actually helped me um, with meetings and stuff. Like oh. he was very helpful to me in the beginning. So I'm going to do the job until I find a replacement. OK, so in that first few months, um, I found out about um, an opening at a, at a, at a museum. Mm-hmm. And I had some construction experience, so, you know. And this, uh, I applied for this job at the Arm & Hammer Museum in Los Angeles. It's on the campus of Cal Paul, uh, I'm sorry, um, UCLA. Mm-hmm. And it's now, it's now part of UCLA. At the time, it was new and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, Arm & Hammer Museum and Cultural Center, I think it's the full name. Anyway, whatever. So I get this job. You know, I got a drug test for it. And I didn't, I've never even taken a drug test before, but I passed. And um, this job is a little different than the parking lot job. This job put me in the midst of fine art. And I'm talking about Picasso, Monet. I'm talking about the, the real deal. So the last job I have as a drunk person is cleaning this parking lot with a broom and dustpan and, and uh, sweeping up people's needles and condoms. And the first job I have sobriety is uh, I'm in a, a museum and I actually have the opportunity to hang a Picasso and a Monet. So I'm, I've gone from that to that right. in four months, five months of sobriety, whatever it was. Right. Now that stuff doesn't, that only happens in AA, right. I mean, as far as I'm concerned. Like I don't, that opportunity wouldn't be there for me if I wasn't sober. Right. And uh, I, would, I would still be doing this and trying to glorify it as, as the, the best job in the world, cleaning a parking lot, if I wasn't sober. Right. So um, I never dreamed that, that would, something like that would happen to me. It wasn't on my bucket list at all, by any means. But um, you know, I met some great people who I'm still friends with today mm-hmm. um, doing that. And it was an experience that I treasure forever because I was really amongst the greats. Right. It was pretty cool. A stark difference, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Um, all right. Well, is there anything I'm going to, if there's nothing else you want to add, I think I'm going to read the, uh, 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 the, the, the ending piece, the part where I do page 164 here. I've really enjoyed our time together. Anything else that you want to add before? Um, you know, John, no, just, uh, I appreciate you having me here. Oh, yeah. I, I really good. And I hope, I hope we did some good. And, um, the thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is it's there for everybody. It is. So any of you out there, you know, we'd love to see you. We would love to see you. So I'm going to read now from page 164 of Alcoholics Anonymous, what we call our big book. And uh, this is the last page of the first 164 pages. It says, 
Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and we and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Uh, Ray, I'm so glad that you were in from California today. We are able to spend a little bit of time together. God bless you, my friend, and hopefully we'll meet some of these fellow travelers out there as we go along this road. Right on. Take care now. Bye-bye.